We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. You can learn more about me and our um, organization, Patriot Academy, at our website, patriotacademy.com. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's Constitution coach, and it is my honor to host this program with Walker Wildman. Walker's with you on Mondays, Wednesdays. I'm with you on Tuesdays, Thursdays. We flip a coin. Most of the time, it'll be him uh, with you on Friday, but uh, but once in a while, I'll be there on Fridays as well. So thanks for being a listener to American Family Radio. You know, part of our our whole purpose here is to equip you. A lot of times the programming inspires you, but we also want to equip you to then go do something with that inspiration, be able to go out in the culture and, and make a difference. I think most people that listen to this program know that, that we sat on the sidelines for too long, and that's why we're in the mess we're in. But that is changing. I mean, people are realizing that, hey, this is it's up to me. I, I can't just sit back and enjoy freedom. I, I don't get to just you know, reap the blessings of liberty from what other people paid the price for in previous generations, I have to say, okay, it's my turn. You know, I'm standing at the guard watchtower freedom. I'm the one now that has to step up. That is a new attitude that it's been, boy, it's been hard to get people to take that on in previous years. But now there is a wake-up call across the country. So I'm encouraged. I'm actually, you know, I've been at this 30 years. I've been on the front lines involved. I was, you know, as I said, a legislator, but that was 20 years ago that I did that. And then uh, with David Barton and and wall builders and speaking across the country and doing constitution classes, we've now got 13,000 constitution coaches across the country that are hosting our classes and living rooms and churches and all over the place. People are diving in there. They're studying, but I have in 30 years of doing this, I have never seen the kind of momentum that is happening right now, that the level of of just paying attention to what's going on, let alone the new courage that people are finding in a way that uh, we've prayed for. Believe me, we've wanted this to happen. We've prayed for it. We've asked for it. We've we, we've we've trained and equipped and hoped that it would happen. And I, I just see so much fruit right now. Whether it's the parents showing up at the school board meetings and and or people running for office that you know so hard to find candidates in the past. And now, man, people are are stepping up and saying, hey, here am I, Lord, send me. If that's what you want me to do, I'm in. Let's go do it. And and uh, so they're getting training. We've even we've got, got this program called Campaign Coach on our on our Patriot Academy website, and, and tons of people have gone through that and now gone out and run for school board or city council or county commissioner or state rep and won. So now they're in the position of making the decisions, and that's what we've needed for so long. So be encouraged, folks. I, I know the most of the... I guess focus on, on on the good news of of the last few weeks has been at the Supreme Court level, which which you might feel like is a is an area that you can't cannot affect. You know, it's a, it's a Supreme Court justice. I don't get to appoint them, but uh, as as you know, of course, those Supreme Court justices are appointed by the president, which has become the number one issue in presidential elections. Certainly was the number one by far, nothing close issue in 2016. It's what allowed Donald Trump to, to cobble together a a uh, coalition of people that 
like me, that, that did not like what he stood for in a lot of ways, certainly didn't like his personality and the things that he did in, in, in the primary to my candidate, Ted Cruz, and, and others. So it was really hard to get on board in 2016 for me. And a lot of people, many of you listening to this, this program, uh, but because we did it because of the Supreme Court and because of the judges, and little did we know that it would turn out he would end up appointing really 99% of the justices he uh, judges he put on, not just the Supreme Court, I'm talking about the appellate courts, the district court levels. I mean, there are hundreds of appointments that he made to the to the judiciary that were just stellar. I mean, we're talking we're talking attorneys that he appointed that had been arguing religious liberty cases for years before. They've been our our allies, people that were fighting with us, trying to restore religious liberty, preserve the First Amendment, fight for the Second Amendment, I mean, all these things. And now he was appointing them to be the judges. And so just, I guess, I'm trying to remember if it was if it was this no this last November or the November before. We do we do a, a legislators conference every year. It's called the Wall Builders Pro Family Legislators Conference. We bring in state reps and senators from across the country, and it's it's a it's a great time of, of relaxing for them to interact and and sharpen iron and visit with other pro family legislators. You, you sometimes I could tell you somebody that was there, even though there were a handful of other biblical worldview, you know, conservative legislators when I was there, it, it wasn't a lot. And sometimes you feel like you're alone. And so this conference gives these legislators from across the country a chance to come together and exchange ideas and really encourage each other. We have lots of great speakers. And and I think it was I think it was November before last. It may have been this last November, but Kelly Shackelford from First Liberty Institute, good friend of mine and and, and just a an incredible attorney, one of the greatest legal minds and strategists in the country, a, a phenomenal guy. Uh, they have won so many cases, uh, you know, in, in in defending liberty, and and the Coach Kennedy case was theirs. I mean, just phenomenal organization. But I remember Kelly saying at this conference to all of these legislators, he, he basically said, "Guys, I'm telling you, get ready, buckle up, because we're about to have years not just not just one Supreme Court session of good decisions, years of good decisions from the court that the court has been." tremendously improved, that it has been significantly changed from this mindset of we're going to make up the law on our own. We're going to get we're going to get the end justifies the means that Machiavellian idea. We're going to we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to you know, we're going to find we're going to create a constitutional principle in order to get the public policy outcome that we want, which is the antithesis of how the court was designed. This is exactly the opposite of how the Constitution actually is written and exactly the opposite of what the Federalist Papers and, and all the founding fathers told us how the court would work. So it's been a disaster for really about 60 years. And Kelly was saying to us, that's all about to change. I'm telling you, these appointments are incredible. You guys just hold on. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting in the back of the room going, okay, I'm usually optimistic. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Well, Kelly was 100% right. It's been a, an incredible couple of weeks, um, even even just this this session of the court and all of these decisions, of course, we've been talking about them on the program. You already you already know what I'm, what I'm talking about here. But but even I, I didn't realize, I mean, there was, of, of course, the Bruin case, Second Amendment case, solidified your right to keep and bear arms and be able to carry in, in public, not just at home. Of course, the Dobbs case, overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, of course, the religious liberty case with 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 uh, Joe Kennedy and uh, the coach out in, in Washington that says, you know, absolutely, you can you can pray. You don't have to go hide in a closet to pray. Um, and, and then so many other cases, the, the school choice case that says you can't discriminate against a school because they have religion in their school. There, there was just a ton of them. And I didn't realize um, there were there were something like five religious liberty cases 
in the last few weeks that have have been incredible. So it's just been phenomenal at that front on that front, and that has been the topic, right? That's what we've all been been talking about. So I just wanted to emphasize for a second the good news outside of the court in terms of just the local momentum, the local energy of 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 people of God, people of faith that have said, I'm going to be a biblical citizen. I'm actually going to apply the Bible to everything in my life, not just my family, not just my individual uh, circumstances, uh, also my work, my 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 government, my my society, how my neighborhood forms. We've really started getting that into our, our hearts and minds and, and understanding that being a biblical citizen is essential, and it is a duty. It's not just a right. It is a duty. We are expected to do this. We have been given the responsibility of freedom, the responsibility of citizenship that includes being Caesar. So that responsibility of we the people being in charge means that we have to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so people are waking up to this and and realizing I'm Caesar, I'm a citizen, and, and in America the citizens are Caesar, and therefore... I'm going to do my job, and I mean the momentum is, is just incredible. I get stories almost every day. I, I, I get to hear the good news. I'm spoiled, I know. I'm, I'm probably why I'm more optimistic than most people, because I'm just constantly around the ones that have awakened and are out there making things happen. And that and that's young and old, by the way. So so that's it's the people that are out there running for office and making a difference in their community, but it's also these kids, this, this remnant that God is raising up. I do these these Patriot Academy leadership congresses across the country. That's why I'm on the road right now. We're, well, we did Florida and, and, and Colorado, and we're headed to, to Delaware next week, and then uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So we're doing the all, going to all these state capitals and bringing these young people in that are in their late teens, early 20s. I mean, they're at that point where they are really cementing what they believe and, and, and what they want to fight for. And so I get to be around these kids as, and I apologize, I know I'm saying kids, but they're, they're young adults, um, as they're as they're really finding the passion, the desire God put in their heart, and whether they're going to go into business or or the pulpit, education, journalism, whatever their area is that God's called them to, they're catching the fire of biblical citizenship. They're understanding God's word applies to everything, including what my country looks like, what my community looks like, and they're accepting that responsibility. I was uh, we were just in Florida. And uh, my buddy John Stenberger runs the Florida Family Policy Council there, and he's our partner for for Patriot Academy in, in uh, the Southeast. And we hosted it in Tallahassee at the Florida Capitol. And John and I are standing over there at the graduation at the end of the of the academy, the the leadership congress. And these kids are coming up again. Kids, this is, I think the the, the two uh, two people I'm thinking of. I think they were probably 19 and 21. And they come forward, and, and when we do this graduation, when they come forward, they 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 sign the Declaration of Independence. They, they've been in the Capitol for several days. They've been debating the issues of the day. They have been a legislator on the real House floor in the real committee rooms, and they've been debating these things, and they've been discussing the future of the country. We've had workshops on all kinds of things like this. <clears throat> and so at the end of all of this, they, 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 they are called forward one by one. First, I get up, and I tell the story of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. This is this somewhat fits because, you know, just a few days ago, we celebrated the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And so we, when we call these students forward to graduate from our Patriot Academy Leadership Congress, they have the opportunity. They don't have to, but they have the opportunity to put their name on a blown-up copy of the Declaration of Independence. So I tell the story. I talk about how they gathered in the room there in Independence Hall a month after 
voting for independence. Only John Hancock and, and Secretary Thompson signed on the 4th, and it goes out to the world. Well, a month later, they come back in on August 2nd, and now all the other signers of the Declaration are going to sign. So now they're all going to put their name on the dotted line, and there's some great correspondence between Benjamin Rush and John Adams later where they talk about how pensive the air was, how somber the occasion was, how they knew they were signing their death warrant, and how everyone came forward one by one in silence and took the pen, dipped it in the ink, and signed the Declaration of, of Independence. And so I tell the students this story right before they're about to come forward and sign the Declaration them, themselves. And, and then our executive director, Nathan Macias, he calls them forward one by one, just like Secretary Thompson called forward the actual signers of the Declaration. And these kids come forward, they sign the Declaration, and then we have military veterans at the front of the room who ceremonially pass the torch to these young people. And they, and they say to them, listen, I was willing to die for your freedom. Now it's time for you to go live it. And they put a medal around their neck and they give them the torch uh, freedom pin that we that we give to graduates. And then they come over and and uh, and get a picture with me as we give them their uh, their graduation certificate. And 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 uh, John Stenberger, our partner in Florida, he and I take the picture with them as we give them the graduation certificate. So that's a long, long setup to tell you what happened um, as these kids were coming forward. That just sticks with me right now. I'm going to try not to ball like a baby here on the air, but. These, these kids come over, and having signed the Declaration of Independence, now all of a sudden, they got tears in their eyes. I mean, they're crying. They're crying. They're walking. They're dressed to the nines. I mean, everybody's dressed up because they're, they're all dressed up. We're in this formal ceremony. Their parents are in the gallery, and their colleagues are there on the House floor. And here's, here's John and, and, and me. Nathan calls them forward. They go sign the Declaration. This veteran puts the medal on them. They come over to us in tears saying, thank you, thank you for giving us this opportunity to become biblical citizens and leaders. Friends, that's why I am so hopeful. And then John and I are looking like blubbering idiots as we're crying trying to take a picture. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, it just was powerful. And it reminded me, God is raising up a remnant. They, they get it. They get it. They understand the value of biblical worldview, and they understand their duty and their responsibility. So be encouraged, friends. There is so much good happening right now. Uh, I tell you, just just if nothing else, listen to Good News Fridays on Wall Builders Live here on AFR. You can listen to that over the over the weekends. It's 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 just exciting to see what's what's happening. When we come back, I'm going to hit some of the headlines. I want to talk about this whole idea of safety. It's killing America. Safety is killing America. We, we, safety is our highest value. That's a bad road to go, folks, and it'll get us in all kinds of trouble. We'll also be getting to your phone calls, phone number if you want to write it down right now, or go ahead and call in and get in the queue, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. I'm Rick Green. Stay with us, folks. You are listening to AFA at the Core. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Forty days of twice-daily taunting from Goliath sent Saul and the Israelite army reeling in fear. But David's passion for Yahweh, conviction, and full persuasion stirred King Saul. When people are on fire for God, it often provokes others to glob on to that fire but we must be careful to resist the well-meaning overtures of the flameless bystanders. Saul meant well, but his armor couldn't help. It would only slow David down. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Choices, 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 but what to choose? Many girls today are overwhelmed by the magnitude of life's decisions. From which cereal to eat for breakfast to what internship she should accept to start her career, your girl can quickly feel stuck. I've heard it said that how we make decisions, whether we are trusting God or not, matters more to Him than which specific decision we make, especially when both paths honor God. The Christian walk isn't a chess game to be over-strategized. When your girl can't see the forest for the trees, guide her above the trees. Remind her that trusting the Holy Spirit and faithfully honoring the Bible will, by design, make her life a city on a hill. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. You know, a lot of times you have to choose between something high quality or something that saves you money. But if you can get both, why not? Especially when it comes to healthcare. And that's MediShare. You get both. The typical family saves 500 bucks a month switching to MediShare. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. It's because MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge PPO network. So, yeah, really, you could save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. If you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Here is the number you need. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon, America's Constitution coach and a former legislator, and I appreciate you joining me for the afternoon. If you'd like to join the conversation with a question or comment, the phone number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We were talking about uh, just the encouragement of what's happening out there in the culture. I also think an encouraging factor is that maybe, 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 maybe there's finally some accountability for these political hacks that shut down the world in COVID without justification and certainly without constitutional authority. And I don't mean just in America. I'm talking about around the world. Looks like Boris Johnson is uh, is finally being held accountable. He uh, he shut down England. He was he was as bad or worse than than Biden has been on those types of things. In fact, in, in last fall in December, he shuts them back down. You know, I mean everything, masks required in in, in, in I mean all kinds of crazy stuff, all because. You know, uh, uh, Omicron was was spreading in other countries. It was like, I mean, it's just constantly shutting down everything, not based on the science, not based on, you know, we take risks in everything we do. And and, and, and the death toll has not been any higher annually anywhere, uh, even with COVID, than it was before COVID. But despite all the science, he just continued to be a control freak and shut everything down and then be hypocritical. Hmm. Imagine that. The COVID crackdown meisters... That, that made you stay home 
and not be able to go to work or church or anything else. But then they were turning around and going to parties and hanging out and going to restaurants. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom did it. Gretchen Whitmer did it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi did. It. I mean, it was all of these leftists that loved controlling you. But then they were living life as normal as possible without allowing you to do so. And, and Boris Johnson apparently did the same thing, was going to parties, all kinds of, of stuff, uh, while he shut down the rest of the country. And thankfully, he's done. He's, uh, he's resigned. I guess that was, um, uh, you know, it's going to be a few days for him to get the, the, the rest of the, the new cabinet in place. But at any rate, he's done. And I hope that that is accountability for the horrific job he did in leading England through COVID. And I'm not being critical of other nations, folks. We had horrific leaders all over America on this as well. Um, certainly some exceptions. Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida being one of those. In fact, I saw a headline this morning, Casey DeSantis. And Ron, by the way, Ron and Casey DeSantis, I, I've only met them once. I was very impressed. I mean, both of them, incredibly uh, professional uh, and uh, very, you know, just put together. I mean, they, they, you can just tell they've got great experience in life. She is a broadcaster and, and, and a journalist, and and he is a as a Navy SEAL attorney and, and just all the stuff that, that he had done. Anyway, I was really blown away by them. But this headline from, from Casey DeSantis, you know, she's pointing out, listen, the Democrat lockdowns are the reason for the K-12 through learning loss. And for the Biden administration to ignore that is just ridiculous. They failed to mention the real reason why we've got this quite literally almost two years of learning loss in the children of America. And it's a government-created problem. It is not It is not a COVID-created problem. It is an overreaction of government. And, uh, and anyway, Casey DeSantis was talking about that today. And I, you know, I just, I, I just, I love this couple. I'll tell you what, I don't know if they're going to, if he, Ron's going to end up running for president or not. It's going to depend on, I'm sure what, uh, what, what Donald Trump does, but it's, um, but it's something definitely to watch, but what a difference. And I, I, I've actually been wondering this and, and someday if I get to interview DeSantis, I'm going to ask him how much his being a JAG officer for the Navy SEALs, how much of that influenced his mindset as a leader, and, and, and including during COVID, how much of that influenced his being able to make a rational analysis of the risks instead of just freaking out and panicking and, 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 and shutting the you know everything down and keeping it shut down? Now, he did do some shutdowns at the, at the very beginning, but very quickly opened it back up and didn't care. The whole world said he was killing grandma and the media just, I mean, lambasted him. And he did not care, man. He had the backbone to stand, and and that's why Florida recovered so quickly, and why other states like Texas finally opened up. We probably would still be shut down because Greg Abbott would get to have a press conference every day and talk about how he's saving all these lives, and he loves to be loved. Uh, but because of what Ron DeSantis did in Florida, it forced Greg Abbott and other Republicans to follow suit and finally open up the states that they had shut down. So some Republicans were just as bad as 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 Democrats. But at any rate, DeSantis. I think that background had to have something to do with his calculations and realizing that you don't just play it safe. That's not the American way. You don't just err so much on the side of safety that that you stop living. That you that you stop. You're so worried about safety and being safe that the very things that you live for are not enjoyed. And I, I just feel like that was probably part of his mindset was that he understood there's risk. I mean, if you're a, if you're the JAG officer for the Navy SEALs, you, you're dealing with these guys that are constantly putting their lives at risk. And they're not going into a situation saying, oh, my, I might die. I don't know if I want to go in. No, they're saying, if I die, I die. But I'm going to do what's right. In fact, the, the attitude is, this is a good day to 
If I'm going to get to stand here and defend freedom and defend the innocent and I die doing that, what a great way to go out. I mean, that, that's the mindset. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I think, frankly, safety's killing us, folks. It's it, this overreaction to everything, trying to constantly be safe. I can't remember if I mentioned this a week or two ago when I when I drove by the sign, um, but but I was so annoyed by this sign uh, that Lowe's had for their big distribution plant out in East Texas. I was driving home, and um, it, it said safety. This this was the big quote: "Safety is our highest value." Now, friends, if safety is your highest value, you're out of whack. You're probably if safety is your highest value. Just think of how that. Just let that sink in for a second, and think of how that would influence your decisions. If safety was your highest value. You would probably vote for changes in the, in the driving laws to where, you know, you can only go 25 miles an hour. Um, you can only have so many cars on the road. You got to drive a tank. Uh, you can't drive a, a small car or anything that you might get in a wreck and die or be hurt. I mean, safety, your highest value shuts down so much of I mean, if safety is your highest value, you probably never leave the house. If safety is high, your highest value, you probably never have anybody over. Now, I'll give you two examples of exactly what happens when safety is your highest value. If safety is your highest value. You will stay in the hallway with dozens of other police officers with body armor and ballistic shields for more than an hour while helpless children are being murdered by a deranged lunatic in a classroom that you could get into if you would put forth the effort, if you would take the risk that, yes, a police officer could get shot. Absolutely, a police officer could get shot. That's the risk they take every day. That's one reason we respect them so much. That's one reason my my, my sister spends so many nights you know, crying and, and going to bed concerned because my brother-in-law is out there on the streets as a police officer in Grand Prairie, and every night there's a risk that he's going to end up in a situation that could end very badly. That's part of the job. But when all of your training and everything shifts from save lives to be safe all the time, then you act different, and that's exactly what happened in Uvalde. They, 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 they had a commander that was so worried about safety and, and, and none of the officers getting shot that the children all died. Now, that's a terrible transition. That's a terrible trade-off. I would much rather, if, if, if I were a police officer there or certainly even looking from the outside, you, you would rather hear that you know two police officers died in the line of duty saving 25 kids. That's, that's a culture that values life. That's a culture that doesn't have safety as its highest value. It has virtue as its highest value. It has, it has life, value in life as its, as its highest value. So this safety as, a, as our highest value is a dangerous, dangerous road. It, it is not safe. It's dangerous. Kids ended up dying because safety was our highest value. And I'll tell you another thing. If safety is your highest value, you will respond to a pandemic by shutting down earth. You will respond to a a a, a one a ninety nine point nine percent survivable virus by micromanaging and overregulating and 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 preventing people from being able to live their lives. So we we pledged allegiance for the last two years to the elite to the safety cult, and and and, and we cowered in our homes. We wore wore useless masks. We we lived in fear, meaning as a nation, I didn't, but and you didn't, but most people did. All uh, while adopting this safety cult idea without common sense of this unscientific, unconstitutional, illogical, literally made up rules. I mean, read Scott Atlas's book, Six Feet, you know, uh, 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 Social Distancing. They made it up on the spot. They literally 
pulled it out of thin air. Zero science, zero study, zero anything to back it up. And how many millions of those stupid little circles with the six and reminding everybody to stay six feet apart uh, are on in every business, everywhere in our... It's just so silly. Every time I see them, I just cringe because I think that's how foolish we were as a people. The, wor- the worst one, though, is when, you, when you're at the hotel and it's got this little bitty elevator and it tells you to stay six feet apart from people in the in the elevator. I mean, you read those signs and you go, "What? What? Very." Um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say "small-brained person." Is there a nice way to say that? I don't know. What? What fool? The Bible uses the word "fool." I can use the word "fool." What fool came up with these ideas? It's just it's just completely silly. And and it's not just though you know because COVID came along. We've been going down this road for decades. That we've had government become so big, micromanaging and overregulating businesses. You know, everything, I mean, OSHA is a nightmare. OSHA is the is really the poster child for safety as our highest value. And it destroys the economy. It destroys businesses. It destroys jobs. Let people make their own decisions and take their own risks. Benjamin Franklin was right. It's attributed to Benjamin Franklin anyway. There was a 1755 letter from the Pennsylvania Assembly to the colonial governor that said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And that's what happens when safety is your highest value. You no longer deserve your liberty. Frankly, you you just you will lose your liberty when safety is your highest value. It's just how it works, and and that's exactly what what has happened. So I, I, I'll finish my my thought on this whole thing, and then we'll we'll go to the phones. If you'd like to like to call in, the phone number is eight 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 five eight nine eight eight four zero. The opposite of safety as your highest value is the American story up until the last few decades. There is no part of our incredible story. American exceptionalism did not happen because Americans played it safe. We did the opposite of playing it safe. The Minutemen were outnumbered at Lexington 11 to 1. You got 70 guys there, ragtag bunch out of the same church, black and white, young and old, standing together, but outgunned by 800 of the king's finest. 800 to 70. And yet they stood their ground. They were willing to, to, to stand in defense of freedom, and that's where the shot heard around the world began our war for independence. I think about being a Texan. If you don't know the story, you need to know it even if you're outside of Texas. But the Immortal 32, these 32 guys from Gonzales, Texas, that answered William Barrett Travis's call for help, and they fought their way into the Alamo. They, they, they went into the Alamo and had to fight to get in in order to die for freedom, to stand with their colleagues, roughly 200 that would then be outnumbered by, what's 6,000? That'd be about 30 to 1, right? So they're outnumbered 30 to 1. And they still were willing. To, man, that's dangerous. That's not safe. That's dangerous. And you even even speaking of pandemics, you go back to Spanish flu, two thousand eighteen. Uh, sorry, nineteen eighteen. The, the the Spanish flu death rate was twenty five hundred percent of COVID's. In other words, twenty five times what COVID's was. And yet Americans fought World War One while fighting Spanish flu, and didn't shut down the economy. No quarantining of healthy people. No statewide shutdowns and mandates, not a single penny spent by the federal government on the virus, not a single penny. The president didn't even mention Spanish flu, even though it was way, way, way worse than what we're dealing with. How did they survive? How did the nation survive without the little round signs telling you to stay six feet away from everyone? I don't know how they made it. How did they function without trillions of dollars spent to bribe people into staying home? That, that, just a different mindset. Safety was not the highest value. Life was the highest value. 
Think about World War II and our boys that stormed the beaches of Normandy and Saipan, Iwo Jima, all the others, facing certain death, near certain death, and yet they take those beaches and they take back an entire continent for freedom. New York firefighters running into burning buildings on 9-11 to save lives. Safety was not their highest value. Saving lives was their highest values. They sacrificed their own life to save others. My buddy Stephen Williford, I mean, this guy ran barefoot into the gunfire to take down the Sutherland Springs mass murderer. He saved, Stephen saved dozens of lives because he was a trained good guy with an AR-15, by the way, saves dozens of lives because he did not play it safe. If safety was his highest value, he wouldn't have gone barefoot. He would have put on some steel-toed boots, made sure he had all his tactical gear just right, plenty of magazines. No, he answered the call immediately, barefoot. He runs out of his house, shoving rounds into his magazine to get there and stop this crazy guy that was literally in type three body armor, squat helmet, the whole nine yards. I mean, this kid in, in Uvalde didn't have body armor. The, the police had the body armor, and yet they didn't storm in when they should have, and Stephen Williford was the opposite. He had no body armor, didn't even have shoes. Reminds me of the the incredible Patriots that, that, that crossed the Delaware in an icy, you know, crossed the icy Delaware in a, in, in a, in a snowstorm to take on the professional Hessians. I mean, this is like the Boy Scouts taking on the Navy SEALs, and yet they did it. They crossed the Delaware with Washington. Most of them didn't, or a third of them didn't even have boots. So just like Stephen Williford, no no shoes, and yet they went into battle. They, they say that you could, you could follow the Americans on their nine-mile trek by following the blood in the snow. They didn't play it safe, folks. You have a land of the free because of the, it's the home of the brave. None of our heroes had safety as their highest value. Thank the good Lord for that. We've got to reignite this whole courageous fire of liberty in us that makes us brave. As Ronald Reagan said after the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, the future does not belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. Now, for, for me, this, this kind of came home uh, to us on a recent trip. We were out, at, uh, out doing one of our constitutional defense courses in, in September of 2020. Not recent. It's been almost two years. And, and, and I was just so sick and tired of all the COVID crackdowns already five months into this thing. It was just ridiculous. And, and we, had, we had had to sue the governor of Nevada to be open, to be able to have our class because they, they, did, they didn't want. Anyway, we went through all that. The course is over. My boys are driving back to Texas. I'm flying out to California to give a Constitution class on the limitations of government, ironically. And, and you know how you do when your kids are going one way and you're going another. You, type, you, you say, be safe. I typed that on my phone. I said, I'm sick of being safe. I deleted be safe and I said be dangerous. Dangerous to the enemy, dangerous to apathy, and an absolutely existential threat to tyranny. And I hit send on that. Had a big old smile on my face when I did it. A new sense of purpose in my walk because I was understanding it's time to be dangerous. Under control, meekness. Jesus spoke of meekness. That's not weakness. That is strength under control. We need to rediscover that, folks. I know we got some calls. I'm sorry I ran it for too long. We'll get to the calls when we come back from the break. And if you'd like to call in, it's 888-589-8840. Be dangerous, folks. We'll be right back on AFA at the Core. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. 
Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. A baby's cry. It's the sound of God's gift of life that began at conception. The church needs to speak out on the sanctity of life, but believe it or not, there are those in the church who disagree. Dr. Michael Brown says the early church was always clear, abortion is sinful. His article, What the Early Church Said About Abortion, will stir us to unite on that fact, but it also reminds us of God's mercy and forgiveness. You can read this article at afa.net slash the stand. American Family Association President, Tim Wildman. Why does AFA exist? Well, we're here to inform, equip, and activate individuals and families to transform the culture. We wanna make an impact on our country for Christ. That's the reason my dad, Don Wildman, started this ministry 40 plus years ago. Dad was concerned about the direction America was headed and he was determined to do something about it. Maybe that describes you today. If it does, I want to strongly encourage you to consider a charitable gift annuity to American Family Association Foundation. This will benefit you and it will ensure that we stay in the fight for a long, long time to come. That's the AFA Foundation. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. You ever notice that we're often put on the spot to somehow fix whatever happens to be the crisis of the day or the hour? Some folks feel free to point out the obvious as if we can't see it and then impatiently demand that we come up with an answer. Caregivers don't need others to rehash the same problem we've obsessed over, nor do we need folks to place another unreasonable request on our shoulders. Asking those individuals for solutions and then just being quiet gives them a moment's pause to consider the complexity of our world as caregivers. While everyone has opinions, few have solutions and even less have the humility to walk with you in suffering when no solutions are apparent. Asking complainers to give me a solution is a great way to redirect their complaining energy, and if needs be, send them on their way. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon. The phone number to call is 888-589-8840. Several callers in the queue coming to you guys right now. But as I as I was thinking about the last segment, I just want to ask you to be thinking about this. Are you dangerous or is safety your highest value? Because I'm telling you, the future of the American way of life depends on your answer. Safety cannot be your highest value. It's time for us to be dangerous to the enemy and dangerous to apathy and an absolutely existential threat to tyranny. First caller is Lee in Kansas. Lee, thanks for calling in. Comment or question? Are you standing up for a country? For, absolutely. Uh, Thank you for calling in. It's values. What about Section 3 of the Constitution? Section 3, loving war against the U.S., adhering to the enemies and giving them aid and comfort. And, and 
view. Yeah, you're talking about the treason clause, right? In 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 Article Three, Section Three, and 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 I assume I I, I couldn't hear you very well, but I, yeah. I'm assuming you're talking about the man occupying the White House giving aid and 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 comfort to the enemy and adhering, um, you know, basically giving them aid. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, and also the U.S. Code two three eight one chapter. 115. I don't have access to a law dic- a dictionary or uh, encyclopedia, but is that is that a possibility? Well, it, you know, if we were living a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, I would say absolutely yes, uh, based on the things that have been done. Even just the border, just just take what he's done at the border and and quite literally allowing people to come in that we know are dangerous to our country. In other words, out of out of out of the two million or more that have come across illegally, we know that while many 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 of them are good people just looking for work, most of them. There are definitely dangerous, dangerous people in there. Terrorists that are setting up terrorist cells, gang members that are just coming across to get, uh, um, harm, cartels controlling it, the, the sex trafficking, the fentanyl, I mean, all that stuff. We know that's there, and yet he still refuses to protect our country. I think 200 years ago, they would have absolutely brought him up on on treason. Today, not likely. There's nobody, there, there's so few people in Washington, D.C. with the with the courage to do something like that and 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 play the hard ball that needs to be played, um, they've bought into moral relativism so much that they don't even know how to define right and wrong, let alone treason. And uh, so, I mean, great idea, but I'm afraid there's definitely not enough uh, courage in Washington D.C. to make that happen right now. Let's go to Texas, Iris in Texas. Iris, how you doing? What part? I always ask what part of Texas, of course. Where are you calling from in Texas? Rockwell. Say again. Oh, Rockwall. Rockwall. Man, I grew up going to church there. Church on the Rock all those years ago when it was meeting in the high school. 200 well, of us I in the high school. I was there, too. Oh, wow. 95. My wow. goodness. Yeah, I went from 200 to 12,000 almost overnight. Wow. Yes. Yes, I was there in the day. Um, my question is, and I know that you're not a fan of, uh, of our governor, and I voted against him in the primary um, because he's soft on a lot of issues and more talk than go. But the bottom line of it is, is do you think, what do you think is the reason why he's not standing with the sheriffs in the southern counties on the border for using um, uh, uh, con- the Constitution-based uh, uh, um, provision for um, uh, invasion? Yeah. I want to know what yeah, you're, so you're, you think. You're, you're, he's you're... just got no guts? Um, well, let's see. Let me put this as nice as I can. Yeah, correct. He has no guts. There's no doubt. I mean, listen, this, this is a guy. He's all hat, no cattle most of the time. He's, he's led on a few key issues over the years. He's been okay on life and some other things when we drug him across the finish line and put enough pressure on him to make him do the right thing. Um, so he, he's far, far, far better than Robert Francis O'Rourke. So let me just be very clear to all my friends in Texas that are listening. You know, of course, I'm going to vote for Greg Abbott in November over Robert Francis O'Rourke. Look, Abbott's been an, been terrible on so many issues, but O'Rourke would not only greet illegal aliens at the border with baby formula and bottled water. He would give them a steak dinner and a, and 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 put them up at the at the Gaylord Hotel in Dallas. I mean, it, it would be a, it would be even worse. So, 
definitely you got to do the lesser of two evils. It's always the lesser of two evils. I mean, if I'm on the ballot, you're still going to vote for the lesser of two evils if you're on the ballot because we're all flawed jars of clay. There is no perfect candidate. Um, everyone is going to disappoint you at some level. So you do the best you can with what you got where you are. Well, in my case and in, in, in your case, uh, Iris in Texas, the best we can where we are right now is uh, for the November election will be Greg Abbott. But to answer your question, what you're talking about is our Article 4, Section 4 requires the federal government uh, to protect our borders and to prevent uh, an invasion. And it, it, we call it the Guarantee Clause. We're guaranteed to be a republic and guaranteed that they would protect us from that sort of thing. And, and unfortunately, they you know, continue to fail miserably. So there's another clause in Article 1, Section 10 that allows the states to take care of that, to repel an invasion, to prevent this kind of thing from it happening. For, and for people that don't think it's an invasion— I mean, look, we had 100 and, what 149,000 uh, GIs that, that stormed the beaches at, at, at Normandy, the greatest amphibious assault in, in, in history. And that was an invasion to go take France back, to take back an entire continent for freedom. I mean, that was a lot of people. That's, that's a tenth. That's not even a tenth. That's, that's 5% of what we've allowed to come across our border illegally. It's an invasion. We have more than that coming in every single month now. So there's no question um, that it is. And Article 1, Section 10 does give the governor the power to do that. Now, why is he not doing it? Why These counties are doing it, right? That's what these county declarations were. And, and they're willing to do it. These sheriffs, they know what's happening. They see the evil. They, they have to go. They find the rape trees. They find the dead kids. They find the, 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 the you know, the, the tractor trailers full of 50 dead people. And everybody talks about that one because it's so many dead people at once. But they don't realize that's happening on a regular basis, just not 50 at a time. It's one at a time or two or five or 10 at a time, let alone the, 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 the uh, molestation and the, and, the, and the child sex trafficking and the rapes and all of the 25% of the women come across. I mean, it's awful, folks. It's awful. Every day it's awful at the border. And then we have a, a, a secretary, um, you know, Mayorkas that, that, that is absolutely demoralizing the Border Patrol and, and not allowing them to do their job. And a president who's unwilling. So they've set us up for failure. Uh, it's, it's an absolute human crisis disaster. So now that I've depressed you with all of that, it could be solved. It wasn't solved by Trump, but it was close. It was way, way, way better. And it, and it would have eventually been a whole lot better had he been able to, to build the wall. But I, here's my theory on why Greg Abbott will not do what needs to be done in completely sealing the border. Now, he has done better in the last couple of months. He's finally, there's more arrest, there's more detaining, um, there, there's, you know, he's, he's done better with this Operation Lone Star that they, that they did. It's not enough, and it's, it's nothing like what he gets on TV and claims that he's doing. Um, but I think the reason is he comes from the mindset. He was a, he was a district judge. Then he was a Supreme Court justice in Texas, attorney general. And he definitely comes from the big law firm. Um, you know, I call it kind of the judicial cobble out there. I mean, they're just it's like this club um, and they 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 aren't willing to to play tough. They're not willing to scratch and claw for freedom. They're not willing to fight hard. They they, they play off of technicalities. And so in his world, he was taught the Supreme Court is the supreme, that, that whatever they say is, is gospel, it's the law, and you don't ever go against it and all of that. And so there was a case 10 years ago that Arizona sued the federal government. I'm sorry, the federal government sued Arizona uh, to try to prevent them from being able to enforce um, some laws that they had passed that that would essentially not quite close the border but it was moving that direction and it was it was it was using the constitution 
But the Supreme Court said no. Now, it was a split decision, and Scalia made it clear in his questioning and in his dissenting opinion that absolutely states have the sovereign right to do this. And if they don't, then why do we even call them a state? They did, we should just become a national government without states and everybody be part of one big national government. Um, so what I think he should do, instead of continuing to bow at that decision, Arizona v. U.S., um, instead of bowing to that decision, he should challenge it and he should say, under Article 1, Section 10, we have the power to do this. We're going to do it, and then you sue us. We'll go all the way back to the Supreme Court. And I frankly think this Supreme Court, there's a decent chance that it would uphold that and allow for the states to do that. But frankly, even if they didn't, I think it's time for the states to stand their ground, especially with this particular issue. So that's a really, really long answer to your question, Iris, uh, but but there's a lot to it. And and I would recommend, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, Bobby will do a link on this, but there's a great article by Daniel Horowitz, um, in on the blaze uh, that goes into a lot more detail on this great quotes by Joseph Story and other founding fathers about why immigration was given to the federal government in the first place in the Constitution. It was to prevent one state from having a really um, easy immigration process and allowing people in that became a burden to the country, and then they could move to other states and be burdens to them. So instead of letting one state undermine things, they wanted to raise the bar on immigration and therefore have the federal government do it. They never dreamed the federal government would drop the bar or get rid of the bar completely and have no immigration policy, just let everybody come in. So um, there's some really good information there, and uh, I'll get a link uh, uh, to Bobby, and he'll put that on our, our page for the day, and uh, you'll be able to learn a lot more in there. Okay, let's go to Ricky in Mississippi. Ricky, go for it. Hey, Ricky. Okay. Man, you've got me a new one now. Be dangerous. I will never say be safe again. <laughs> Good. Be dangerous. Because you used to, it was, okay, you guys drive safely now, but safe's become that catchphrase. Uh, I wanted to point out a series of events that took place for those of us who are old enough to remember. Automobiles did not have seatbelts. That's right. Then they introduced it. They introduced the idea of a seatbelt. Then it became a competitive thing among manufacturers. Then they came in with the shoulder harness. And then the government stepped in and made it illegal to drive without a seatbelt. Then we had airbags. Then we had side airbags. Now we've got cars that will not let you change lanes unless you make a turn signal before you change lanes. And all of this is about money. Follow yeah. the money. Well, and it's about control, Ricky. It's also control, and and fear is a great control factor. If you can make people scared and convince them that you will provide safety for them, unfortunately, uh, the nature of man is to is to bow to that and and to give in in into that. Now that that wasn't the American story for the most part, uh, but it has become that way. And it's it's you know my my uh, one of my Patriot Academy students emailed me this. I think it's perfect. He said uh, it's a quote from Socrates. Uh, he said, you're wrong, my friend, if you think that a man who is worth anything weighs his chances of living or dying when deciding what to do. No, he considers only whether the action he is about to take is just or unjust, the work of a good man or bad. Wherever a man takes his stand, whether in accord with his own best judgment and obedience to his com commander's orders, that's where he needs to plant his feet and face every danger, careless of death and of everything but dishonor. In other words, dishonor before death. We've all heard that expression. And while safety is something that 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 people push, uh, you know, on the country, but it's something that hides and it says to tyranny. When you have a safety is your highest value mindset, when tyranny comes along, like it did for the last two years, 
then then safety responds to that and says a safe uh, mentality says take everything from me but my life where virtue stands and declares give me liberty or give me death think of the difference in those two statements or or or, or think about the quote from Braveheart they may take our lives but they may never take our freedom i love that you know let us resolve to die today so that the victory may be ours i mean that is the mindset and and a, and, and virtuous men will stand up and fight in that way uh, this this whole um, this whole effeminization of of, of men that this 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 what Brad Stein God's comment calls the wussification of, of 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 the culture it is it is killing America it is killing America and and I and I they call it toxic masculinity folks we needed some masculinity in that hallway in Uvalde and my my pastor Doug Giles he says that one of his books is it actually says if you think masculinity is toxic, then Jesus is radioactive. And it's so true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with masculinity. We actually need a more muscular, masculine um, uh, conservatism today, as Josh Hammer would, would say it. So safety may keep you alive, but virtue is what makes life worth living. It's time for us to recapture that. We need to come back to that love of liberty, that, that willingness to sacrifice, that, that love of risk. You know, we used to enjoy taking risks. I mean, we would, we would have never settled the West. We would have never taken on Great Britain. We would have never done the things that we've done in American history if we were not lovers of risk and, and, and willing to take that risk. And I, I hope we can recapture that mindset. I, I believe we can, and I, I think there's some of that happening now. And, and, and Ricky, by the way, that, that after I texted that to my boys that day in September of 2020, I turned around and sent it to a friend of mine and said, hey, this is what I just sent my boys what do you think? And he said, that's so good, we're going to make a shirt. So, <laughs> so we did. He actually added a quote. Uh, he put on the front of the shirt, it says, fear is not a virtue. And then on the back, it has my quote, be, be dangerous, dangerous to the enemy, dangerous to apathy, and an absolutely existential threat to tyranny. Now, folks, that doesn't mean you just go be stupid, right? It doesn't mean you just, you just run into the, to the, to the hellfire without any kind of thinking or strategy or, or, or training or any of those things. That's not what I'm saying. I hope you don't hear me. Uh, hear me wrong today. I, I, what it's saying is that you're more willing to put your life on the line than just cower in the corner and let tyranny take over, that we are willing to be dangerous. Uh, Jordan Peterson's got a new series over at the Daily Wire that's uh, similar to this theme. It's called it's called Dragons, Monsters, or Monsters, Dragons, Monsters, and Men. And he's saying basically the same thing. Men, you've, you've got to be willing to be a monster when you have to, to defend the family, to defend the cause, to defend liberty. So think about that one over the weekend, folks. Be dangerous. Thanks so much for listening to AFA at the Core. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.